Hi, welcome dear friends and to Alatra TV UK. Today we're very excited to talk about creative society and how we can build it in the shortest time possible. How do we envision a society of the new creative format where humans are a fundamental unit of society, where everyone is guaranteed equal rights, opportunities and freedom? Where a secure and stable society where everyone will live in happiness, prosperity and feel safe. Creative Society is a unique global project that's been launched on the platform of Alatra IPM. For more information, please visit our official website, alatraunites.com. My name's Kim and my host today is Hannan. Hi, Hannan. Could you please introduce today's special guest? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Today, we continue to discuss about the Creative Society and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce our esteemed guest, Nicole Johnston. Nicole is an author, ghostwriter and book coach. She is a former policy and communications advisor to senior government ministers in the UK and, in, and Australia. Welcome to our programme, Nicole. We are so glad to have you here with us. Could you please... Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Um, could you please tell us and share with our viewers what inspires you in life? Since we know that previously you've worked as a policy and communications advisor for the government, but then became a very successful author and entrepreneur. What is your motto in life? I'm actually not sure I have a motto, actually, but I do, like, for me, it, it's about the principles, and I think that comes from working in politics. A lot of the things that I've seen in politics are, um, when I first started out, people all went in to want to change the world. They all wanted to make a contribution. Um, and for me, you need to understand your red lines. What are you not ever going to compromise? You know, what's going to be something that people remember about you? And for me, that's become fundamentally about being egalitarian, that everyone is equal. And I noticed that's absolutely the premise of the eight foundations. For me, it's, you know, I am absolutely uncompromising on that. And anybody will tell you that perhaps it's a bit of my original Australianness, but but there have been people um, escorted from my home. <laughs> Breaches <laughs> on such things. I absolutely yeah. am non-negotiable. And, and the, as I've got older, I've started to realise that actually that's that if you're in a position and, and imagine you're dealing with something unprecedented like COVID at the moment, you know, you need to understand what is your principle? What are you not going to negotiate on? Because when you're confronted with a massive issue that's unprecedented, there's no way of knowing um, in our modern times how to deal with this. You need to know what to negotiate on. And, and what you see around the world is, is some leaders, ironically, actually, the ones that have done best are, are women which I think is really interesting. And, and somebody asked me about this recently. Why do you think it is women that are handling this better? And I said, because I think the Jacinda Ardern's of the world, for them, one unnecessary death is too many. So when you start from your policy perspective, she's not negotiating business interests versus human interests. She is absolutely clear that, that she is going to stand on what she believes in and, and her belief is that I need to protect people and keep them alive. And, and I think that's what drives me, those red lines, and my red line is absolutely about everybody being equal. I, I guess, too, I'm a little bit, I, I don't understand any other view like I don't understand how people so so I, I you know I'm in my 50s now and I still don't understand why people only see the differences and and not the 
not the similarities, the connections. So it's not really a motto, but it is kind of that's the thing that I am absolutely not prepared to negotiate on and also that I will never walk away from a situation and let anyone believe that I agree with them because I think silence is so dangerous. I think that people assume if you don't say anything that you agree with them. Yeah. And I think there is so much truth in that for, for evil, if you like to succeed, it all it takes is for us to do nothing or say nothing. Absolutely. That's that's so true. And I think we've got to, we've got to know what our principles are. And I love that those that red line that um, really brings it to life because we have to have those bits that go, these are the things that we're not going to tolerate. And by not tolerating them, we have to not be silent as well, don't we? So that we actually don't allow them to go unchallenged. Um, but what we'd also like to do is talk about an unprecedented event, which is the Global Online Creative Society Conference, what the prophets dreamed of, uh, held on the 20th of March 2021, which has shown that humanity can unite if we choose to do so. Let's just watch a short video first, please. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so grateful to be part of this Creative Society program. Thank you, guys. Let's keep doing this until we unite mankind. It was a humbling and exciting and inspiring experience to of us. We want this world to be a better place. We want to leave this world better than when we found it. We want... I'm honored and I'm flattered um, just getting to know the idea of this conference and just watching how diverse it was. and you know, understanding that how God is love and how we can love each other equally. In total, I have heard, I've listened, and I've understood from the people around the world, the way people actually pour their heart out. And it was so phenomenal to see people from different religions but talking almost the same language. I'm totally inspired and motivated by what I received from the conference on the power of love and the role each one of us plays to build it. This is a very beautiful moment I'm sharing that all volunteers all across the globe, we want happiness, we want peaceful life, we want togetherness, we want a life where everyone should live in peace. And truth, purified from false, people will be able to understand their religion truly, who washed it and accepted the truth. I think we will succeed in everything. I believe it. The importance of the Creative Society, as I understand it, is to implement all the good qualities of a person. Such freedom of spirit, such unification of people, such an example of what people who feel the need and strive for the freedom can do, feel the need for this unification, because they understand that these are such times that we simply have no other option. And besides, it is a need, the need of every heart. Wow, amazing to see all those people's views of what we could do if we all really came together and united as one. So could I ask, how do you envisage the Creative Society, a society which cares about the well-being of every person, all people having their basic needs satisfied and every human being a fundamental unit of society? Nicole, how would you see that coming to life? 
to be honest, I, I think it really is about if we really as human beings and said it and believed it, and I've yet to come across a religion. I'm fascinated by religion. You know, I grew up as a Christian. Um, I, I'm not an active Christian. I believe in God, but but I, I'm not really involved in religion so much as I believe. Um, and it, it, what I find fascinating is I've yet to find the religion where people aren't equal, but I find a lot of people using religion to judge other people or to 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 find a division and i think i think we need to call that out and say actually what we see from what we are belief whether it's god or, or whatever it is you know we need to say i mean it's quite clear for christians thou shalt not judge you know if you're following jesus example like he was much more at home with people who were poor and had people who were disadvantaged and he didn't judge and you know if that's the example we're kind of failing miserably really you know, we've come to a place in this world where we glorify celebrity and money and being rich. And, you know, you know, it, it, it isn't about that. They're not the values that, that are going to, you know, when we face our maker, if, if that's what, you know, not like I obviously believe that happens, he's not going to go, well, Nicole, you've made a lot of money. He's just yeah. not going to say that. You know, if we fundamentally agree that, that we are equal and we really believe it in our heart and it shows in our actions, I think everything else stems from that because, you know, I, I keep thinking we, we are in this world and, and we know this as women. We know as women that we are still massively underrepresented despite the skills and, and, and different skills and different, um, you know, massive strengths we bring you know we know that mixed teams are better teams that are diverse teams that are both men and women are better we know they operate better but you know what if the next Mandela is somewhere in India living in poverty with no internet I mean we are not clever enough as a society to be rejecting those brains and that passion you know we're just not I mean, you know, you know, our planet's in, in dire straits and, and, you know, we just keep ignoring it because it's just too convenient to, to fly. It's just too convenient. You know, people have asked me whether they think that, that I think that COVID is a, is a conspiracy and I said, I absolutely do. I think it's Mother Nature giving us a good kick. <laughs> and I really do believe that, you know, we have, we have this amazing resource. There is no plan B, but we still just keep doing what we're doing. And honestly, it's the richest of amongst us it's the richest amongst our community who have the the money and the wherewithal to influence this differently who are the greatest perpetrators of it you know I, I I've been to Venice a couple I've been so lucky to be Venice a couple of times and I remember the first time I went thinking this gondola thing is supposed to be romantic but those can now smell how is this romantic and there's fish they're clear those canals are clear and you can see fish in them I mean that surely is an example, albeit a really minor one, of how we're getting it wrong. So for me it is about if we fundamentally accept that every human has equal value. And, and I, as I say, I'm yet to find that religion who doesn't say that. I'm yet to find that belief that doesn't say that the human is the central core of it. If we live that, if our actions show that, then I think everything stems from there because then that human has as much right as 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 Rupert Murdoch to exist and 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 live their dreams and you know I, I think everything stems from that and I think fundamentally we there's a lot of lip service to that and but you know people don't live it.
You touch on some really good points, actually, especially with equal opportunities. Um, very wise words indeed. Um, Nicole, on your LinkedIn profile, you said that words are your business and passion. You have incredible experience, and that's very, very clear. Um, and, you know, working with such high-profile international organisations such as the World Bank, the Gates Foundation, and much more, um, you know, using your writing and communication skills. If we are talking about means of communication and technology, um, it's also a close topic to mass media and being distributed, and especially kids having access to it. What the media and culture, what, what, sh what should the kind of media and culture be in the creative society? What information should prevail uh, in order to uplift uh, and set kind of a moral and human value standard in, in, in the creative society? What would you kind of um, advise? This is a bit chicken and egg because the reason that, you know, in my opinion, such low standard journalism exists is because people buy it. You know, there's a part of them that doesn't care whether it's true. And, you know, we've seen this with COVID, this cognitive dissonance. Somebody gave me this expression and I just thought that is absolutely it. So this is too complicated for me. I can't deal with the implications of us actually living in a pandemic where people are going to die. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick the bits from the people who say it's not true or that it's a hoax because that makes my life simpler. And I think if honestly, you know, we have this situation, one where I think think we have absolutely messed up by allowing organisations all over the world. If you look at who owns the main media all over the world, you will see the problem. So basically what we're doing, and I have no qualms in putting down a fellow um, Australian on this, we are mostly seeing Rupert Murdoch's view of the world. And, and that has absolutely been true in the last elections in this country. And, and, you know, I'm desperately disappointed by that because when I moved from Australia to the UK, we moved literally in June 2001. And in September 2001, obviously, we all know what happened on the 9th of September. And the quality of journalism, the coverage, the digging deep to work out why that happened, you know, it was amazing. I was just so impressed by the quality and the intellect and the real rigorous journalism. Um, but I'm not, I'm just not seeing that. It's really been sidelined. Um, I, I don't think media is representative. I, I think we, we, again, even our public broadcaster, and I say this, you know, BBC, I'm happy to say this to your face, but I think that you're responding to commercial interests rather than taking responsibility for the fact that whether people like it or not, they need facts, they need information. And we talk about this post-fact society, but it's, a, it's an actual thing. I mean, people really are... All of a sudden, the armchair expert who watched or read the Daily Mail is is equivalent to the person that studied this for 20 years and worked in it for 20 years. So I think it is a chicken and the egg, but I do think that the, the power comes, I mean, the power always comes from the people, but I think... I, I, I mean, I, one of the reasons I hope that this creative society succeeds is because I think the power has always been with the people and it would be wonderful if we took it back and said, we demand a better standard. We demand if you're not telling us the truth that you are held accountable for that because I don't... There was a story in The Guardian the other day about what people used to fall on their swords for in a Tory government 20 years ago, you know, and they were so minor compared to what seems to be happening now 
and people aren't resigning. You know, it, it doesn't matter what comes out, it seems to not be accountable. Now, that's not a Tory point. That's a point for every party across every country. But we're not being held accountable. But equally, I think that those journalists out there and those organised... One, I think we need to get rid of monopolies. I think we need to, to stop reading the views of media moguls because... I think they obviously have a vested interest. I mean, of course they do. We all do. But we need to bring back that really rigorous journalism. But equally on the other side, people need to be saying we demand this. If we keep buying the gossip, if we keep buying that the lies, if we keep putting money behind those organisations, they are going to keep producing it. That is so true. And in the absence of... In the absence of a fact, the human brain creates a story, doesn't it? Because it needs to fill those in. So true. So true. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot, like you guys, there's clearly a people movement here and it seems to have happened very, very quickly. And, you know, when you look at human evolution, movements are very, very rare. They're very rare. But if you look at this, you know, we have a chance. What we know is people respond to stories and that's why words are powerful. But because before we formed language, people were painting stories on gay walls. And if you look at that, I did some research for a course I was doing because I really wanted to understand why we're so hardwired stories. But actually stories are about connecting with people. So my story might be completely different to your story story but some of the principles some of the learning some of the grief some of the experiences bring us together and communicate together and I, I personally think this move towards storytelling in its truest sense not about a marketing tool but about connecting human beings is so powerful because I think then we start to go oh that person that lives in rural Pakistan feels the same as I do we're not that different you know, and I think the problem with discrimination is ignorance and fear. We fear things we don't know. I have yet to meet the people who, you know, I have, let, and this is not an example I want to give, but I'm going to, is people who are afraid of Muslim people, which I just find absolutely gobsmacking because I live and work with Muslim people. And they're just every single one of them are, are lovely people. And to be honest, I don't even know in some cases that you'd know them Muslim. Where I find that people have an issue with that is people who've never met them, never worked with them. And I think that's the thing we've got to break down. I personally find it fascinating to go somewhere where I don't know the food, I don't know the music, I don't know the art. I love that. I love learning about new things. When did we stop becoming those adventurers and explorers that went, oh, wow. When I went to Moscow, it was different to anything I'd ever seen before. And it, it blew my mind. I didn't go, oh, this is really different. I must get out. I went, oh, wow, look at this. And I don't understand when we stop being those people that were fascinated by difference instead of being afraid of it. Fear is um, definitely something that, you know, people tends to take over, doesn't it? But, yeah, mm. interesting. And it is, I think if they recognised in themselves that, that it was fear, then, then they would allow themselves potentially to be exposed to more and then realise that actually that person is exactly the same as you with the same fear, the same desires. We all have different paths and different experiences, but fundamentally we do all want to live in peace. You know, 
we, we fundamentally want to be able to walk down our streets and be safe. We fundamentally want our families and our, you know, we want and we want to be able to express ourselves freely in opportunities. And I just think that that's true of everyone. And if we started focusing on what was similar rather than what was different, it's a shame that different is somehow a bad thing. <laughs> so so true. It's um so difficult, isn't it, that we don't we don't see that our differences are often the things that also are our um Strength. similarities. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the core of us is the same. So when I first came to the UK, I come from Perth, Western Australia originally, and I came to London. So I went from the smallest, most remote capital city. I think there were like 800,000 or a million of us when we left, yeah, in Perth. And we came to Greater London, which is like 19 million. But my first friendship group was a South African, a Bayesian, an Indian girl, a uh, Scottish girl, um, and a French girl. They And they are still my friends to this day. And I just thought this is amazing that this is my closest group of people and they come from everywhere, um, completely different religions, completely different backgrounds, completely different ages. Uh, uh, to me, that was just, that was one of the attractions of London. No, fabulous. Sorry, I think we might have slightly missed at which one of us was speaking next, but I think... Sorry. Hannah, no, no, you're OK. I think it might be you, Helen. Oh, is it me? OK. Um, so just, um, well, it kind of links into education then, because um, uh, like you said, you've made some real good points about, um, you know, fear and, and, and the way that um, people perceive things. Um, but how could we change education to make it really effective then? Kind of which conditions do you think um, should be created so children and adults um, will have that self-motivation to kind of personally develop themselves and improve on their own skills and their own ideologies and their own biases? Okay, so I think I, it's funny. Actually, my very first assignment at university 150 years ago was about whether, educa whether education um, contributed to our opportunities or whether it, it just reinforced our social position. And, and I argued that it didn't, that it gave us lots of opportunities. And certainly for me, that's absolutely true. You know, the social mobility from, I, I came from a, an exceptionally, in, in relative terms in Australia, exceptionally poor. You know, there were often times we didn't have places to live. Um, you know, so education was the key difference for me. But I think it does reinforce our place in society. I think, one, we do it wrong. I am, do not believe and will not believe that we are educating people simply to sit exams and tick boxes. So what we're doing is saying if you're in this middle group of this group of 30 people in a class for this poor teacher, then basically you're going to be fine. But you guys here who might be exceptionally bright at some other things are going to be completely bored and probably misbehave. You people here who are neurodiverse that the whole world needs, you know, I mean, how many people are there out there with dyslexia and autism who've changed the world? You're, we're going to ignore you too because we don't have the capacity. That's not the teacher's fault. That's the education system's fault. Also, what are we saying when we are homogenising our education? So you come to this country, you come to any country, and what our job is is to integrate you. We don't mean integrate. Great. We mean to stimulate. We mean you will need to learn how we do things. But what if you do things a bit different? And I have to say the best example in the Western world of education, in my opinion, is Finland. And they just 
screen it. They just do such a great job. Their kids aren't going home from school with assignments we would have expected to get at university. Then their five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds are not weighted down with adult concerns. They're, they're not, you know, my husband is the most Oh, he's completely different to me. I'm that person that will do, do, leave it all till the last minute, cram and do really well in the exam. He's the person to work really, really hard, panic before the exam and not. And guess who gets the best marks? I'm sorry, what are we reinforcing? The crammer, the person that leaves things till the last minute, not the dedicated student who's really done everything he should have done. And I just think, one, it's not, it, it's not a right way of doing things. So Finland, they... They also, there's a lot of mix between life experiences and experiencing things differently. And, you know, I think there's probably better examples elsewhere. You know, the Indigenous people in Australia, a lot of their, um, they weren't this kind of Judeo-Christian punishment. You do it or we will punish you. I have never understood how you can teach people respect if what you're saying is we will punish you if you don't do it. So what we're saying is, you do it because you're too afraid not to, right? Not because there's a joy of learning and that you might want to know this. Because I think all of us kids start with this massive joy of learning and wanting to understand things. So in the Indigenous culture, they one and, and again, there's so many tribes and they're completely different, but there's a tendency to say, we'd advise you not to do that because you could hurt yourself, but we're not going to stop you doing that. Now, I mean, that's fairly clear that we've told you, we've given you the consequences, you've done it, but also there's so much about nature. If you go to an Indigenous community where that's, a, you know, a major feature in their education, they know how to find water, they know how to, they know about nature, they, they also have this beautiful view that they belong to the land, the land doesn't belong to them, which I just... I mean, that, imagine what the planet would be like if we all felt like that. So I think there's lots of other much less westernised communities with education that would we should take a lot of. But I think in terms of westernised society, I think we should go to Finland and say, <laughs> we need you to tell us how to make it happen because uh -huh. they let their kids be kids and, and, and they instil a joy of learning and they don't say, by the way, you're in this school because you are going to be working class for the rest of your life. That's your place and we're just going to educate you to do that well, <laughs> you know. That's so true, getting, getting our children to actually embrace the joy they have of life. You know, I look at my little girl and, and she has such a thirst for it. Um, it's just amazing. And when do we lose that? But obviously we've talked That's about the... So eight foundations of the creative society and I know that you've read the article on the foundations and the three stages in achieving the society and for our viewers you can actually read a full version of this on uh, lotteryunites.com but Nicole could I ask you to share please your opinion about it? I think it's really interesting I mean I, I'm going to be completely honest I don't like the word moral and I think that's semantics because I think it's principles um, so that aside from that, I 100% agree with it. So I think morals, we often take our morals from religion that could separate us. But if we said, so for me, it's the same thing, but I think I mean principles. That means us as human beings, no matter what church you go to, no matter what your background is, other than that, I think it's 100% right. Every single one of these things, even down to the detail of the development of personality, that we we shouldn't 
have some people i when i grew up it was vocational we had no money i was going to do whatever i needed to make sure that i would be independent because my mother was left with three kids and my father didn't contribute at all i was never in a country which you would think australia was terribly you know, civilised, but actually back then single parents didn't get any support. So she worked as a cleaner in the morning, she worked as a, a, a preschool teacher's assistant in the day and then waitressed at night. The waitressing at night was good though because we got to eat Vietnamese food every night. But what I'm saying is actually that, that I am a writer I could have been a writer. I could have spent the first few decades of my life writing rather than beating myself up to make sure that my bank account was okay so I didn't have to worry about paying the bills. I think it's excellent and I think Margaret Mead says, never, What did, I, I wrote it down, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world and indeed it's the only thing that ever has. I think there's a capacity for this and, and it really has been an astounding growth that I've seen over what is a very, very short period of time. I think it may be the only thing that can change the world and I think the basic principles you've got in here are absolutely right, even down to the when did we stop valuing artists and storytellers and painters and all those people that, that tell our stories? You know, have we stopped valuing those people in favour? I mean, we know this, don't we? We also know that at the end of the day, if all the CEOs and all the governments have gone home during COVID, we were okay because we had our nurses. And yet our nurses can't get a 1% pay rise yeah. Our parliament's got a pay rise every year. And, and I think we, I want us to revalue that. I want us to say the nurses, the doctors, the teachers, the people who collected our rubbish, we could not live without. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think, and also, you know, they might love doing the jobs they do, but actually wouldn't it be great if they also got to be valued on, on the creative sides of themselves because I don't think until we value that we're ever going to be, if we can't be the best we can be as people, our world can't be the best that we can be as a world. Thank you, Nicole. Definitely, I totally agree with everything. I resonate with everything you're saying. Only in unity can we overcome anything. Um, let's watch a shot, uh, a quick shot. Maybe we might. Aliens came to Earth. At first, they flew around it. So everything. And then decided to talk to the people on Earth. They asked, why do you have so much garbage and garbage cans? Well, this is because we don't have enough money to build waste processing plants. But why do you have so many hungry and homeless people? Well, this is because we don't have enough money to feed them and build houses for them. But why are you constantly at war with each other? This is because we don't have enough money and we're trying to take it away from others. The aliens scratched their heads and said, We fly around galaxies, have explored many worlds and planets, but have never met such a rare and, as it turns out, such a very necessary resource as money. Could you show us what it looks like and show where you get it in space? Then we will try to get it, bring you more of this money and help you establish harmony on your planet. We don't fly anywhere to get money, the Earthlings answer. We print it ourselves. Yourselves? 
said the aliens. Yes! After this answer, Earthlings were deleted from the list of intelligent beings. Now more and more people understand that creative society depends on every single one of us. We can all make an impact, however small. So what can every person do today uh, so that tomorrow we can live in a better and creative society? I honestly, I, it's funny because I, I, at our best, I think human beings are amazing. And I think what makes us human, if, if we connect with that again, is amazing. And, and it's ironic because I, I have said this to my husband, I kind of hope that God has, has life on other planets because right at the moment he must be a bit disappointed. And that cartoon unfortunately shows you what it is. I read a book actually, if ever anybody gets a chance to have a look at it, Yanis Varoufakis, who was the, the Greek finance minister, and it's explaining the economy to his daughter. And I've only, I haven't read it all yet, but my husband bought it for me. And it talked about how people had what they wanted, but people then had to almost create a demand to meet the supply and then charge for it. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, how ridiculous. That's crazy. I think what we need to do is, is really go back to what our values are and refuse to accept anything else because I really believe in the power of the people. I think we've lost that. We, And I think, sadly, that we have a way of saying our life is not what we want it. We have to do this because of them. It's always them, somebody else, whether it's, you know, migrants coming in, whether it's the government, whatever. But we need to say that actually if we as people stand up and say this is what we expect. So if you're our government, you represent us, you need to remember you serve us and that it's not about power, it's about responsibility and this is what we expect and you make it happen, okay? Or we're going to put in other people who are going to make it happen. So I think if we connect with those things and say... I don't know if you've seen this, but, you know, when somebody changes their life and they do something that just frees themselves up and they do this thing, everyone around them goes, oh, that's crazy. You've just given up that really good job to go and paint pictures by the beach, you know, and 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 they're really confronted by it and they have to almost confirm it's the wrong choice because otherwise they have to accept they have the, they can also have the choice to do that. And, and I think that's what we need to reconnect with. Everybody's not going to want to paint. I can't even draw stick figures, so I definitely do not want to paint things on a beach, right? But if we remember that together we are united, if we can reconnect, and perhaps this is the way to do it, to connect on those principles that make us human and to demand from the people that represent us that they, they work for us. We do not work for them. If the government tomorrow didn't turn up, we wouldn't notice because it's the civil service doing the work. You know, if the CEO of an organisation doesn't turn up, people aren't going to notice. And that's what we need to remember. You know, if tomorrow we said we're not paying these train fares for unreliable trains and we all didn't pay for one day, they would do whatever we wanted the next day. We need to remember, but but also it can't just be a few of us. And, and traditionally in any community there's about 10% of people who are active who do things for other people or do things because it's important. If every single one of us did a little the, the power would be back to us and we would be able to create that world we want. And I think that's the bit. And 
you know, I'm all for anything that's going to do that. I'm all for anything that's going to do that. So this is what's going to do it. I'm all for it because I think we need to take it back. We also need to say we're adults. We know that actions have consequences. We therefore need to realise as a country and as a world, if we don't step up and take responsibility, then this world will always be like this. And it's not somebody needs to change it because we're somebody. We all need to be the somebody that changes it. I mean, it's the whole Gandhi thing, be the change, you know. We all need to be the change. And if every single one of us did some of that, I think it would be a doddle. And uh, I totally agree. You're so, so right. We've got to be the change we want to say. I love that Gandhi quote. Mm. Um, and it so resonates that we need to make the changes that we want to see in the world because it has to start with us. If we look at the person in the mirror first, we can make the change. Um, as you know, we're testing the theory of the six handshakes. So can I ask you, who would you like to see here for our next conversation to see their vision of a creative society? Well, I thought about this and the person I thought, so, you know, last uh, year I published a, a, a nonfiction book with a girl called Anna McAfee. And Anna McAfee is amazing. She one day decided that she, she was a stay-at-home mum running this massively successful global business, and she was really lonely. And we know that lonely, loneliness and social isolation is at epidemic proportions. The UN says depression, which is fed by loneliness and social isolation, will be the biggest disease burden globally by 2030. So Anna didn't know any of this. She just knew that she was missing human connection. So she pops on LinkedIn this post, should those of us in Coffs Harbour, which is just north of Sydney in Australia, get together for a coffee? And they did. So she posted about it and as an afterthought put hashtag LinkedIn local. Anyway, 18 months later, there are 650 hosts running these completely free, no-profit events just to connect with no agenda other than to get to know each other. There was no sales. You weren't allowed to pitch. I had to take my business cards because young people can do this snazzy thing with their phone where they can just connect with each other with some sort of barcode thing. I can't do that. So I used to have to take that if anyone wanted to be in contact. But all I did was speak about writing. And all of these people came together in communities off their own back for no money, set up these groups where people could just get together and be human beings. And it took over the world. So we wrote this book called How Hashtag Changed the World using the stories of how it had changed people's lives. And it was exactly what we're talking about. So I think, Anna, because she is an expert on setting up communities in the real sense of the world, not in the sense of the word that marketing tool we need to make money so but in the real sense of getting people together understanding what drives them and providing it so I personally think Anna would be amazing for your for your um to speak with you thank you so much for your enriching answers um so to join the creative projects of Alatra International Public Movement please visit our website alatraunites.com where you'll see the red button join all you need to do is fill out a very short and easy form and the volunteers of Alatra IPM will contact you. Anyone can join this wonderful project and participate in any way he or she wants. No effort is too small because the whole project is exactly the sum of contributions of each and every individual. You can all make an impact. So please join us. Thank you. I'd just like to thank everybody for watching us today and suggest that before we go, and I'd just like to thank 
Hanan for being my co-host so beautifully, Nicole for answering so eloquently and adding so much value to the conversation and moving us forward. Um, we're going to end by listening to a wonderful song that was played at the recent global and truly history-changing conference, Creative Society, What the Prophets Dream Of. And I'd just like to say thank you all for watching and please do get involved.